Welcome to what we're calling WWW Rewind, where we go back into the archives of our Wednesday with the Word ministry and are going to share with you once again two of those outstanding ministries that we've had in the past for the month of May. We're going to look at a series that was brought to us by Pastor Val English in February 2018, one that he entitled Tough Times, Great God. It's an audio tape and we hope that God will bless you as you listen to it. And each Wednesday for the next uh, three weeks and after this, you'll hear the full series. And it'll be there on the website for you to go back and listen to. And hopefully you'll share that with others as well. So sit back, relax, open up your Bible, follow along as Val comes and shares with us about tough times, but a great God. Well, folks, it's a joy to be back uh, with you in New Row. I can hardly believe it's 18 months I was here. Uh, time goes so quickly, doesn't it? Most, and the older you get, the quicker it goes. So it's a real joy to be with you, and I want to thank Robert very much for his very kind and gracious welcome. And lovely to see so many faces that uh, I do know. Forgive me if I kind of put a name to the face but such is my age, and that's the way that it goes. You know nothing about that, of course, at all. But it's lovely to be with you. Now, for the month, we're going to have a look at the theme, Tough Times, Great God. <laughs> Tough Times, Great God. And in the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, it's amazing how often this particular theme occurs in one incident or another. And so over the next... Uh, for Wednesdays together, we're going to have a look at one particular chapter in the book of Samuel. So if you would turn with me please to 302, page 302, and it's 1 Samuel 30 that we're going to focus in on with regard to our theme, 1 Samuel 30. And what I propose to do today is to, to read the whole of the chapter, it's a very long one, but it gives us the the background with regard to our proposed thinking and meditation and as well as that just give an introduction <coughs> to where we will be going hopefully over the next three or four weeks. So it's 1 Samuel chapter 30 then and if I may I'll read it right through. David and his men reached Ziglag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziglag they had attacked Ziglag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. And when David and his men came to Ziglag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, 
Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, God said. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and the 600 men with him came to the Bezor ravine, where some stayed behind. For 200 men were too exhausted to cross the ravine. But David and 400 men continued the pursuit. They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water drink to drink and food to eat. Part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He ate and was revived, for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. David asked him, To whom do you belong? Where do you come from? He said, I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Kerethites and the territory belonging to Judah and the Negev of Caleb and we burned Ziglag. David asked him, can you lead me down to this raiding party? He answered, swear to me before God that will you will not kill me or hand me over to my master and I will take you down to them. He laid David down and there they were scattered over the countryside eating and drinking and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock saying, this is David's plunder. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him, and who were left behind at the Bezor ravine. They came out to meet David and the people with him. And as David and his men approached, he greeted them, but all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers said, Because they did not go out with us, we will not share with them the plunder we recovered. However, each man may take his wife and children and go. And David replied, No, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and handed us over the forces that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the man who stayed with me and the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All shall share alike. David made this a statute and ordinance for Israel from that day to this. And when David arrived in Ziglag, he sent some of the plunder to the elders of Judah, who were his friends, saying, Here is a present for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. He sent it to those who were in Bethel, Ramoth, Negev, and Jatia, to those in Eroe, Sifmoth, Eshtemoa, and Rakal, to those in the towns of the Jeremelites and the Kenites, to those in Homa, 
Borashan, Athak, and Hebron, and to those in all the other places where David and his men had wrought. <coughs> Amen to that wonderful chapter. We'll not be reading the chapter every week together, but uh, I felt it was important just to get the, the general overview from that particular chapter as to what the story is all about. Tough times, great God. That's some theme, isn't it? I wish I had the ability and the measure to match up to that theme. But like many of you good folk, uh, we certainly know the reality of being with tough times and seeing time and time again that in those tough times we have a great God. So often, mind you, at the time you don't see that. You believe that, of course, and you accept that, but uh, when you're really going through it, you sometimes wonder, well, where is God and uh, what is he doing? But in reflection and in meditation, we look back and we often say, you know, well, I went through tough times, no doubt tougher times are to come, but we do have a great God. Now, the focus of our thinking here in this particular chapter is in verse 6, verse 6. Let me, me read it to you again, if I may, and uh, then we'll be thinking about this verse and seeking to unpack different aspects of the chapter to understand this experience of having tough times but a great God. David was greatly distressed because the men, that's his own men, were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God number of different translations to that. Uh, Good News Bible tells us that David was in great trouble. He certainly was. A New Living Translation, which I'm very partial to, says that he was in serious trouble. Dr. R.T. Kendall puts it like this. He was living at this particular moment on the edge of despair. He was living on the edge of despair. I suppose John Bunyan might interpret that as being in the slough of despond. My The Pilgrim's Progress, what a, what a work, and, and uh, going through the slough of despond. Perhaps, however, the best translation is our original translation, uh, the 1611 version, or thereabouts, you know, where it says here that David was distressed, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. With all the very good translations that there are, to my mind anyway, that takes some beating. David encouraged himself in the Lord, or found strength in the Lord, as the NIV puts it there. So over the next three or four weeks, then we'll be having a look at this, this whole business of discouragement, to put it negatively, but underlining all that, to think about the <coughs> wonderful theme of encouragement. And more than ever, you know, as I travel around myself place to place and uh, people to people, I feel that all of us, at one time or another, more than we care to admit, need to be encouraged. Uh, a dear friend of mine who went to heaven a few years ago, and uh, you will know that have heard of him, maybe heard him, when he was on planet Earth and read some of his books, Derek Bingham. 
Derek and I were very, very close in fellowship and shared many particular experiences together. And I had the privilege and the responsibility of speaking at his funeral service, both the Thanksgiving and uh, the, the bigger service there in, in the Crescent. Um, but having said that, you know, uh, he was an amazing man. And he wrote a book, not a very thick book, but the book is called, wait for it now, Don't Wait Until He's Dead. And the whole theme of that book deals with encouragement. If only we'd said that, if only we'd done that, if only we'd visited so-and-so when they were going through those tough times, and for whatever reason, and we all have our reasons, and some of them very, very good reasons, we, we forget. Then says Derek, don't wait until he's dead. Go and encourage, go and do something now. So we're thinking about this business of discouragement and the counterpart of that, encouragement. And all of us, whoever we are, find that we need that encouragement time and time again. We need that affirmation. Some of us who've been involved in ministry from the front, and I know that many of the good saints of God are with us today, you know, uh, folk might think that we don't need encouragement, but we do, we do. We might give the impression that we've got it all together, that we've got it all sussed, that we've got it all worked through, but we all need that affirmation and that encouragement. I love the story of the young fellow who was standing at the door after a particular Sunday morning service and he was shaking hands and this lady came to him and said, thank you, son, for that wonderful message this morning. And he said, uh, you know, rather humbly, well, he said, it wasn't me. He said, uh, it was the Lord. Oh, she said, it wasn't that good. It wasn't that good. We all need encouragement. We all need encouragement. Now then, this is the plan, God willing. Number one, we're going to have a look in this, in this chapter at the reasons for David's discouragement. There are reasons for it. When you and I are in the slough of despond, there are reasons for being there. That's the first area. Area number two, the reaction to that discouragement. Do we just stand up and say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, life is wonderful? <laughs> In reality, life is not like that. We thank God that he's with us because he's a great God. But we react to discouragement. We'll be having a look at that. And so there are the reasons for it and the reaction to it, and then thirdly, the results of it. <coughs> what happens as a result of David going through all this? How does he cope with it? God has a bigger plan in mind. David, though anointed by Samuel, is not yet king because Saul is still around. And that's a story in itself. But David is being fashioned by the Lord for something in a future day wherein he's going to be a key worker in the service of God. And so then, the results of being discouraged are all part of God's fashioning program. It was A.W. Tozer fascinating man, I would love to have met him, uh, some refer to him as a Christian mystic, 
who said on one occasion, maybe he said on a number of occasions, that God cannot use you greatly until he's hurt you deeply. Worth reflecting on that, isn't it? God cannot use you greatly until he's hurt you deeply. Well, this particular chapter certainly underscores for us uh, how David was deeply hurt. And yet, it was all part and parcel of God's plan to do something special for him. I not heard Robert about uh, a car going into space. Uh, that's, that's amazing, isn't it? I remember a number of years ago when one of the first, first Russian cosmonauts went into space. He said rather pompously uh, that he got into outer space and he still couldn't find God. And some wag said all he got to do was to step out of the spaceship and he would have met him. <laughs> Interesting comment. So let's come then to the time that we've got together to begin to think about this area of discussion <coughs> and encouragement and the reasons for it. There are a number of things that I think are, are very important for us to focus in on. In chapter 16 to 30, there is a build-up in David's life. Discouragement never comes because of one particular <coughs> area or one particular encounter. It's usually a catalogue of things. And so right from chapter 16, right through to chapter 30, we have this threefold picture as to why David was discouraged. Number one, he certainly experienced a hard life. Things, over quite a number of years there, had not been easy for him. Mind you, it started pretty well, didn't it? I mean, in chapter 16, he was anointed by Saul. Remember the brothers there and uh, of how one came forward and the other to Samuel. And of course, man looks in the outward appearance, but God looks in the heart. And so uh, we have this beginning of David's life, as it were, in spiritual matters, particularly by being anointed by Saul. And then in chapter 17 of uh, this particular book, we have applauded by people, spilling over into chapter 18. Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. He was the man. He was our man. He was the, the focus, the, the icon at that particular time. And so then it starts pretty well where, wherein he's anointed by Samuel, applauded by people and accepted by Jonathan in chapter 18 again verse 3 where they made a covenant and there was this special bond created between these two men between David and Jonathan that special relationship there and so at the beginning of of David's spiritual career these three areas certainly would have given him a very good start Anointed by Saul, applauded by people, and accepted by Jonathan. They became very strong in their fellowship and in their relationship. But as so often happens, when things seem to be going well, there's a turn for what seems to be the worse. And so then from chapter 18 onwards, 
David, in this hard life that he's experiencing, begins to realize that to do what God wants and to follow what God has in mind is not going to be easy. And in these chapters, we read of a number of things. Number one, he's facing the enemy. Facing the enemy. 18 verse 8 there, he's wandering around in the wilderness. He becomes an enemy of Saul. Saul's a, an interesting character. There's a wonderful contrast between Saul in the Old Testament, Saul in the New Testament, but, but, but Saul begins to not only be angry to David, but begins to hate David. But he comes and goes. He has a kind of mood swing, often in his own life. And so then when we look at David's life, well, having a good start, we discover that he's facing the enemy. So much so that for seven or eight years, he's wandering around in the wilderness. And he's been hounded like a partridge on the moor by Saul and his army. So that's the first thing that experience, David experiences in a time of crisis. Second thing, not only does he face the enemy, but he loses a good friend. Chapter 25 in Samuel the prophet. Loss. Losing a good friend. And when you read that chapter, it's full of pathos, it's full of emotion, it's, it's full of reaction from David towards the loss of a good friend. It's hard to lose a good friend, isn't it? I think within the last couple of years, I've lost three very good friends. Um, who all had Alzheimer's and each one <coughs> got to the point where they'd forgotten how to swallow and it was devastating and for their family <coughs> as you would understand folks they're there but they've moved out I was saying to someone before the meeting, you know, that a dear friend in Bangor who wrote the most beautiful poetry, the most beautiful poetry. I remember, remember reading to him, you know, one of his poems, very moving poem. And I may as well have been reading Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Loss. It's hard to cope with, isn't it? And if your husband or wife or someone in the family is taken, you feel it. Understandable. And as the years go on, you uh, learn to cope with it, but you're never the same again. I remember C.S. Lewis, when approached by his cleric after Lewis's wife died, his cleric said to Lewis, which I thought was a bit unwise for a cleric, but we all learn, and we all make mistakes. Jackie said, life must go on. What did Lewis say? I don't know whether it must, but it does. But it does. And so then, in David's experience here, he's facing an enemy, Saul. He's losing a friend. Dear friend, Sammy, who's been his mentor. And what's the third thing? It's in 25 again. He's leaving a country. 
Now, he's been wandering around the wilderness for seven and a half years, probably around 16 years of age when he killed Goliath in chapter 16. Been wandering around the wilderness for all this time, and uh, he's leaving his own country. And so he becomes an alien in a foreign land. He goes to Gath. We'll come back to that just in a moment there. And so he's uprooting himself. That's the experience that he's going through. He's uprooting himself from a land that he knows, even though it's been hard, from a people that he loves, and he's in enemy territory. That's bound to bring its own pressure. And then the fourth thing is this, that interestingly enough, he finds an ally, a king called Akish, who is the king of Gath. And uh, it's a strange relationship, this. Because David has been running so far, so fast, finds himself uh, in Gath. Eventually he finds himself, when we come to chapter 30, in a place called Ziglag. And he has this <coughs> ally who is a foreign king, but uh, trust is understandably a problem. And so, folks, although he's had a good start, his life is in crisis because he's in a hard life, facing enemies, losing a friend, leaving a country, finding an ally. I suppose to boil all those things down, it's a, a general overview that, you know, I remember one preacher saying that he was going to, to give the congregation the sincere milk of the word. And one wagon in the congregation said, condensed milk, I trust. And so we've condensed that milk just to a few weeks, a few uh, moments there to get an overview of what it's all about. A hard life. Second thing, very, very quickly, not only was that the first reason for his discouragement, a hard life, but the second reason is this. In chapter 30, verses 3 to 4, there is heavy loss. He and his men, 600 of them, who've been involved with the Philistines in battle, though David never aligned himself against his own people, but they were involved in battle. Um, after Gath, they were given the city of Ziglag, which was a kind of border town, you know? A castle dirk, if I can put it like that. It's a kind of border town. At the time, at the time, um, although it was still part of, of Israel, of Judah, it was inhabited by the Philistines. And so Achish, obviously wanting to get David offside with 600 men and their wives and families, so there could have been quite a lot of folk there, they were given Ziglag. They were given Ziglag. And so here are the men who have been fighting. They come back, come back to Ziglag. And when they come back, they discover that the city is destroyed, that their wives and children are captive, taken captive, and everything is gone. Total devastation. Real heavy loss. Coping with loss. One of those experiences in life which are very difficult to deal with, aren't they? And if one is involved in, in a particular kind of ministry and you, you're trying to cope with uh, folk that are coping with a loss, you feel the burden too. So David is discouraged not only because of a hard life, a catalogue of events that have happened, 
but everything is gone. Sometimes we hear in the news or see in the television <coughs> about a particular country that has been devastated by famine or by war or by quote-unquote natural or unnatural disaster and everything is gone. How horrendous it is to see that, even from a distance. But actually to be in there must be something beyond comprehension. <clears throat> Everything gone. So there's a hard life. That's the first reason. Secondly, there's heavy loss. And then in verse 6, there's heartbreaking loneliness. Now it's staggering this, isn't it, when you think of it, that the very men that he fought alongside, the very folk that had given him their Total allegiance. These are the very men that talk about stoning David. It says here, doesn't it? David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Some of his closest friends turned against him. And he certainly was being squeezed into a very lonely, isolated situation. Hmm. I'm sure that many of us can identify with that feeling within ourselves that we're alone. Remember many years ago when I was ministering in Belfast I was asked to speak on the program just a minute which was three <coughs> minutes interesting <coughs> but and, and one week I spoke after the introduction by the Beatles who weren't with me at the time just on CD on look at all the lonely people just for three minutes and of all the broadcasts that I've done which have not been many in relative terms but the response to that by telephone and by card and letter was amazing lonely people and here is David he's alone he's vulnerable he's weak he's shattered He's under mental and physical strain and understandably he's discouraged. So these are the reasons for his discouragement and they are there. Larry Crabb is a Christian psychologist as well as being a preacher and a Bible teacher. He talks on one occasion about the ABC of emotion. It's fascinating just to, to read him and to think about his comments. He says that A, for example, means that we have an event. Something happens to us. B is what we believe about the event. And C is the consequent emotion. An event, A, what we believe about that event. C, the consequent emotion. And he said the key factor in those three areas is the middle one, what we believe about that event. He said, take, for example, two people. He said, you've got a, a cricketer and a farmer. One day they get out of bed. It's not the cold January morning there. It's sometime in April. They get out of bed in different locations, of course. And, and one sees the rain and he's a cricketer and he says, oh, no, there'll be no cricket today. Well, as the farmer says, we need the rain for the soil. Same event, an event, 
different consequent emotion but it is determined by what we believe about that event. So what's David going to do when he's had a hard life and heavy loss and heartbreaking loneliness? He's discouraged all right. He's distressed all right. But what is he going to do? Well, next Wednesday, God willing, we'll seek to find out as we continue the story. Tough times. Great God. But excuse me, I have to nip away now because, uh, like Robert, I got a funeral this afternoon. My funeral's in, in Lisbon and uh, it's at two o'clock, so I'm going to have to nip out. But we'll get a chance, God willing, to, to have more conversation with you next week. But we'll pursue the theme, read the chapter again, allow it to see me in your soul because there's an awful lot there in God's Word for us. We'll pray then the hand back to our dear brother. <coughs> Father, we just pause to thank you again for your precious word. And although the story in history happened, oh, a long time ago, yet, Lord, we identify to one degree or another with what David was going through. And we pray, Lord, that you would encourage us all today. You know the, the situation that we find <coughs> ourselves in. You know the things that we're concerned about. You know, perhaps the uncertainty about tomorrow or about the pressures of today. But we ask our Father that you would, as you did with David, bring him to that place, even again, where in the tough times he was to see that he had a great God who would bring him through. So hear us, we pray, and bless you, deep people here. In Jesus' name.